0: I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. Those of you that are joining us at Sudden Valley in Ferndale, we're glad that you're here with us as well. The journey that we are going to be talking about for me began with one step. I stepped onto a waist scale in my bathroom. Okay? I stepped. I have no idea what possessed me to take that step onto that weigh scale in my bathroom, but I made a decision that I should probably do that. It had been a while since I had been on one of those, so I took one step, and what I saw on that little blue digital screen offended me, so I stepped off, I cast the demon of deception and slander out of that little thing that was sitting on my floor, and then I stepped back on it again, and it was the same number. And I was not happy. It had lied to me now twice, which means it deserved to be destroyed, but that's where I found myself. And here was my problem. My problem was this. In the center column of the three digits, what used to be a number six was now a number eight. And if I breathed in, it could have become a nine. So I didn't. I exhaled, okay? But what used to be a six was now an eight and I was freaking out. And to those of you who are like 22 years old and you've got like 4% body fat and you're going into college, I have four words from you, or for you from those of us who are over 40. Just wait, it's coming, okay? That's what you need to know, all right? So, but I'm shocked because the number, it, it couldn't be an eight. I mean, digitally, it was just like the six added one little more post, right? That's all it was, but it still freaked me out. It was an eight, and, and, and it was absolutely freaking me out. I was in shock. I didn't know what to do. No word of a lie. I went out and bought another scale, <laughs> brought it home, because that one had to be lying. It is embarrassing to have to return one of those things, just so you know that, okay? Now, this is the weird part. I still felt like a six in the middle column. When I looked in the mirror, I still felt like a six in the center column. If you just walked in the room right now, you need to talk to your neighbor and catch up, or this is going to make no sense whatsoever, okay? In my mind, in my heart, in my soul, my middle column was still a six. I don't care what your number is. That's not my point. All I'm saying is that I thought I was a six. The scale was saying I was an eight and almost in a nine. And in that moment, I made a decision to restart something. I was going to restart my running career. I was a runner once. I actually did a marathon, all 26.2 miles of it. I did a marathon. It was in another decade, and we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come, okay? Can't claim those anymore. But this reality sank into my brain as I stood there, and I just looked at that little blue screen. I was not where I wanted to be, and I had to make a change, and I could keep lying to myself that I was just fine, or I could start over. So I made the decision to restart my running discipline, okay? I we'll never forget the first run okay calling it a run would be a stretch it was more like a shuffle or a or a plod or kind of a rhythmic waddle okay that's what i called it and it hurt It hurt before I started running. It it hurt while I was running. It hurt after I was running. My lungs, my hips, my knees, my brain. I mean, I don't know this. How can your scalp hurt after you go running? I don't know, but it did, okay? My scalp hurt. And my body kept talking to me while I was running and restarting my discipline. My body kept saying, an eight's not that bad, right? (laughs) Celebrate the eight, Grant. Just go home, eat a chicken wing, lay down, okay? That's what my body was telling me. And I learned something. I learned restarting something is hard. I learned that, 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 that my resolve is weak and my body was weaker. I learned that in restarting one area of my life, I had to confront a whole bunch of other areas in which I'd slipped. I mean, I had to, I had to totally rethink my eating habits. I had to totally remove my love for hazelnut mochas. I mean, it, Jesus, help me. Okay. I mean, I had to reprioritize my calendar to make room for the pursuit. I had to re-engage my passion. I had to review my spending because I needed shoes that wouldn't make my hips and my knees yell so much. I had to restart my whole approach to life. Just start it over again. Welcome to restart. You, you, we're going to think about this. For, I've been living this for the last almost seven months. Okay. And my goal is simple. I'm going to tell you my agenda. Over the next three weeks, I want you to restart your relationship with Jesus, re-up your commitment to his church, and re-engage in meaningful ministry of Christ the King, which means this. God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. And that's what we're working on over the next three weeks. Let me tell you why this is so important. I think we can all agree that it's easy to lose your spiritual edge, isn't it? I mean, we just kind of get, we get distracted, we get bored, we get tired, we get lazy. We know we're supposed to be about our Heavenly Father's business, but the reality is, it, 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 just, it just is so easy to slide into this place where we just kind of do nothing. We become self-absorbed, and then one day we have this moment of clarity that shocks us into the reality of our real spiritual condition. We're kind of like a computer, right? Gives us three options. sleep restart or shut down. Some of you are like, option one. Yes. Just take a nap. That's the answer to everything. Others of you are shutting down because just the thought of trying to re-energize your faith, it just seems too big, too complex. So you're just shutting down right now. And I'm just pleading with you over the next three weeks. I'm just going to tell you straight up. We're working on the one right in the middle about restarting. I want to lovingly admonish you to join me on this journey of restarting. I'm not going to ask you to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. I'm going to ask you to have a moment like I had where I was offended by my reality to the point where I actually wanted to do something different. The Apostle Paul is like the waist scale in my bathroom to a church in Galatia, when he asks this brutal question, Galatians chapter five, verse seven, this is the verse that I've been meditating on for months. It says this, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Who cut in on you? Can I ask that? Can I be bold enough to actually ask that? Who cut in on you? Was it a relationship, a human relationship that drew your eyes away from Jesus? Who cut in on you? Was it in an idol That started off as a good thing in your life and then just kind of morphed into a a God thing? Well, Who cut in on you? Was it it a life moment, a disappointment, a tragedy? Or was it just that normal human slide that seems to kind of take over us every single day? Who was it? What was it that cut in on you and stole your passion and your power and your devotion? I mean, was it the devil? You could say that. Did he lull you into a sense of complacency? Did he tempt you with a counterfeit? Did he substitute the truth for a lie? Did you actually buy it? Did you believe that there was an easier way that you could just kind of slide along in in this Christian life and call yourself that, that, that word that doesn't seem to mean anything anymore? Christian, we're gonna talk about that. No matter how you got where you presently are, here's what I know. The journey back begins with one purposeful step forward. That's where it starts. So let's, let's, let's talk about what it is that we're actually going to do when I use the phrase, we're restarting our faith journey, okay? Let's go to Jesus because that's without him, this whole journey is hopeless anyway, okay? Mark chapter nine, in your outline, in your Bible, in your app, whatever you got, okay? Mark chapter nine, starting at verse 27. The Bible says this. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others, still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. You know, in our world today, every single person has an answer to that question. At some level, they do. Who do people say that Jesus is? Some people would say Jesus was a great moral teacher. Other people say that he's a really cool guy. Some think he was deluded and nuts. Some people would say Jesus was misguided. Others would say he was a prophet along the stream of other prophets. Most of us can agree that Jesus was a martyr. Most people just think that Jesus was just another religious nut who paid for his, his deep theological answers with his life. Everyone has an answer. And Peter answers Jesus with the same list that I just talked about. Well, some people say you're John the Baptist, other people say you're Elijah, that would make you a prophet. I mean, that's who, Jesus, that, that's who people say that you are Jesus, but Jesus isn't satisfied with the answer. So he presses in with a deeper question and basically says, I don't care what anybody else says, I want to know your answer to the question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I believe you are the Christ. Based on everything that I've seen you do and everything I've heard you teach, I believe you are the Christ the Messiah. I believe that you were the one sent from God to save me from my sin. Can I be bold enough to ask a question? Who is Jesus to you? Now, be really, really careful how you answer that question. Because the Holy Spirit of God is here right now, and I believe that He will hold you accountable for your answer. Be careful about calling Him your master, unless you're willing to be His slave. Be careful about calling him your savior unless you're willing to live your life as one who was actually saved by somebody else. Be careful about calling him your Lord unless, of course, you're willing to completely live underneath of his lordship. I mean, that's the first step in truly becoming a disciple of Jesus. It's making this declaration that I will reestablish the lordship of Christ in my life. I want you to notice something, okay? I'm not using the word Christian, I'm using the word disciple on purpose. Let me tell you, I believe, my opinion, the word Christian has completely lost its meaning. It's like the word love. I love my dog, I love my mochas, I love my wife, right? But it doesn't really mean anything and it doesn't apply. It's all different contexts. In fact, we've redefined the word so many ways and spread it out so far and watered it down so much, it doesn't mean anything. I'll just tell you my experience. Lots of people call themselves Christians. Lots of people call themselves Christians. And what they mean by that is they love God, however they decide to define him. They take his word under advisement, unless, of course, it bugs them or offends them. And they see the salvation of Jesus as a really cool life insurance policy. It's a get out of hell free card. That's what it is. Not using the word Christian. Christian. I'm using the word disciple because it means this. When I am a disciple, it means I fall in line under the teaching of someone that I consider to be my rabbi, my teacher, and my king. My king. Which means when he shows up, I take a knee. That's how it's supposed to work. So this is what I want you to do right now. I want you to actually fill in the blank and put it in your outline. But I want you to be honest, okay? Don't put your church answer in there because somebody else may be able to see it. Just be real. I asked a number of people this week, fill in the blank. Jesus is my, they were so unbelievably real. Here were some of the answers. Right now, Jesus is my punching bag. Another person said, Jesus is my scapegoat. Another guy said, Jesus is my convenient wingman. Saw another one on the back of a car. This one drives me nuts. Jesus is my co-pilot. Really? If he is, you're in the wrong seat. I'd love to be able to put in there, Jesus is my everything. But he's not always. Love to say Jesus is my life and breath. But sometimes I live for myself and breathe on my own. That's just the reality. So I want you to fill in the blank knowing that he already knows what the answer is because he's been living with you, some for years. Jesus goes on, verse 31. He says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and three days, after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Okay, get the picture, all right? Peter pulls Jesus aside and basically says, you need to tone this down, okay? We're trying to draw some followers here and you keep talking about this dying stuff. You keep saying, if we're gonna follow you, you're going to die, which means we're going to follow you to that point of death. And sounds like we're gonna end up in the same Spot, Jesus. We need, to, we need to be attractional. We need to draw people in here. We need to, you need to be nice and smile and play with the kids. That's how we're going to gain a really, really big crowd. You just need to tone it down. Okay, just so we're all really clear, it's never a good idea to rebuke God, okay? Just so we all understand that, not a good idea to go that direction. And Jesus gets upset. Here's his answer. You aren't thinking about the things of God, you're thinking about the things of men. You care more about, who pe- about what people think than what God thinks. You care more about your image and your status and your stuff because Peter actually thinks if Jesus is going to be a king, that's going to make him a what? A prince. And he's got this all messed up. And Jesus says, Peter, you need to understand this kind of thinking, it's killing you and it's killing me. And it will kill me Literally. As a disciple, I've got to make another declaration. I think it's the declaration that Peter or that Jesus was asking Peter here, and I put it this way in your outline that I'm gonna, I will redefine what matters for eternity. A life of following Jesus demands my life, my soul, and my all. It means I'm gonna give myself to the one who gave himself for me, that I'm gonna lay down willingly my life, my soul, my all. I mean, what does that mean? We know it's a line in a really cool song that we often sing when we take communion but what does it really, really mean? Well, the Bible says, Jesus says this to Peter after he's called him Satan, which is not good. And then he begins to answer some of his questions. In verse 34, he says this, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I mean, that's really blunt, isn't it? Right there in that moment, Jesus is like, choose, choose. Don't call yourself a follower if you're not willing to follow. And this is what it means to follow. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's what I'm, that's what I'm asking you to do. So let's break this apart. Okay, let me review what it means. It means I'm going to recommit myself to living as a disciple of Jesus. That's the next blank in your outline. Which means this. It means I'm going to intentionally love what Jesus loves. Which also means on the flip side, it means I'm going to, and I use this word very carefully, I'm going to hate what Jesus hates. It means I'm going to serve like Jesus served, and I'm going to go where Jesus went. It means I'm gonna give myself away like Jesus gave himself away. It means as Jesus was poured out like a drink offering, I'm gonna pour myself out. It means that I'm gonna to choose to be like him, talk like him, walk like him, work like him, act like him, and ultimately, yeah, we're gonna to have to die like him. This is a really quiet crowd. But that's what it means to recommit myself to living as a disciple of Jesus. And then he breaks it down even further. He goes, you want to get really, really tough? Here's here's three more aspects. I will deny myself. I'm putting these personal because this is supposed to belong to all of us. That I will deny myself. It means this. I'm going to renounce myself as the central focus of my life. That means instead of taking a step forward, first I'm going to take a step back and declare that I am not the center of my own universe. That I'm not going to believe that the universe revolves around me. It means that I'm going to to choose not to do just what feels good or what everybody else is doing. Instead, I'm going to exchange that for what is joyful and eternally fulfilling and only do what it is that Jesus asks me to do. It means I'm going to put myself down lower on a priority list and I'm going to live a completely selfless life. And some of us nod our heads and go, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Can I tell you something? It's impossible unless... You're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who is the only one who can give you the strength and the courage to actually pull that off. I mean, this is not cheap talk and and, and easy stuff. Jesus is saying, I need you to put yourself so far down your priority list that you can't even find yourself on it. Secondly, he says, I'm going to take up my cross. This means I'm going to embrace the place of ultimate sacrifice. Now, I want to clear this up because so many of us misunderstand this. I I do all the time. I want you to know something. Your cross is not the job that you don't like going to on Monday through Friday. Your job is not your back pain that you have to deal with continuously. Okay? Your cross is not anything that the Bible calls your light and momentary Troubles. Okay? That's not your cross. Often people think it's whatever problem I have to bear, that's my cross. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about coming to a place where you die to yourself. Jesus is talking about picking up a cross, and it has nothing to do with jewelry. It's about actually getting on board with the fact that before you can ever live as a follower of Christ, there's some stuff that's got to die. It's just got to die. And this is where it gets hard for people because it's like, no, 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 Grant, come on, man. Can we just do that spiritual hug thing? Can we just slap each other a high five and be okay with being okay? I mean, come on. Does it have to be that? Really? I want to remind you, Jesus walked this road and ended up dying. Now he rose again, But if we're going to follow, we need to understand ultimately where it's going to end. Taking up the cross of Christ is willingly embracing the place of ultimate sacrifice. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite writers, he wrote this. You cannot be Christ's servant if you're not going to follow him, cross and all. What do you crave? A crown? Then it must be a crown of thorns if you're to be like him. Do you want to be lifted up? Well, so you shall, but it will be on a cross. We've shrunk the cross, we've padded it, we've made it easy, we've made it tolerable, we've made it politically correct, and Jesus stands by and says, just so you know, a cross meant death. And every disciple, before he can live, will learn what it means to die to yourself. In your agenda, in your dream, in your hope. Here's the final one. He says we got to follow him, which means we got to make this declaration too. I will follow Jesus. I put it this way: that I'll take the same road Jesus took. You know, when we hear the word "follow," we get a a Western picture of it of falling in behind somebody and putting your head down, and they're walking, and you're just trudging along behind and trying not to bump into the person in front of you. That's not what the word meant. An Eastern person would have heard this word and they would have known the original meaning. It literally means just to join someone on the road that they're already walking on. Jesus is inviting us here to walk on the road he's already walking. So following means not my agenda, not my calendar, not my goals, not my will, not anything. But it also means this. It means I get to exchange that for something. It means when I actually follow Jesus, I get to pick up his calendar and his agenda and his goals and his will and and not my anything, but his everything. I know this sounds like we're going to lose something, but the truth is if we're willing to restart this amazing journey together, it means we have everything to gain. We have everything. Our soul, our life, our all. Now, the Bible says that we're going to have to follow Jesus, so I want to remind you of one more thing, okay? The Bible says there's two roads, okay? One is narrow that disciples walk on, and it's difficult, it's not easy, and ultimately it ends in eternity with Jesus. The Bible says there's a second road. The second road is broad, it's easy, you can just cruise right down it, but the problem is it ends in hell and in destruction. And in one of the places in Scripture, Jesus is saying, you've got to choose between the two roads. In fact, he says, those very few people who actually get on that really narrow road with me, it's a difficult road. It's not easy. Very few people find it. That's what Scripture says. The Bible says there's two roads, one to eternity, the other to destruction. But I want to warn you about something. Culture says there's actually three. The world says there's this other road that people created called the middle road. And you can be on the middle road and people believe that God will call it good. Here's the thing about the middle road. The the middle road doesn't offend anybody. It doesn't bother anybody. You would never ever share what you believe because you would never want to impose that on anybody else. In fact, that road is known very much by its silence. That road, the middle road, just kind of goes along and pretends ultimately that God just kind of winks at sin and in the end, we all end up in a very, very happy place. So basically, you can take any road that you want to. Just so we are completely clear. And I don't say this to try and get a reaction out of you. I say this because I actually love the people in this church. And I will tell you this, the middle road that the world has created is just the ditch on the road that goes to destruction and hell. And Jesus keeps saying this, I'm walking this narrow little road, but I so want you to come and walk it with me. And you're probably gonna have to talk and you're probably gonna have to share and you're probably gonna have to care and you're gonna have to give away everything and it's going to be You'll actually find new life if you walk that road. Now, I know for some of us, we're just like in there, done that, not sure I want to do it again. Here's my word to you, restart. How much grace, how much grace does God have to allow any of us to come back and start over again? How beautiful is that? Here's how he wraps up. He says this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, for the gospel, will save it. Here comes the question. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What good is it if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Here's the final blank in your outline. Jesus is saying this to each of us who have the courage and the passion to want to restart our faith journey. He's saying to us, if you do that, this is what you will be able to say. I will rejoice then in dying, I can truly live. You see, when we come to the communion table, we're making a declaration as disciples and followers when we come to the table, we're saying, I get it. I get it. His body was broken for me. His blood was spilled for me. And now I'm joining him on that road of sacrifice, because how, how else could I say thank you for what he has done for me? The Bible says that before we come to the communion table, we're supposed to examine ourselves. Here's what I'd like you to examine yourself on because it's what I'm going to be examining myself on as I sit right here in just a couple of moments and do the same thing that you're going to have an opportunity to do if you choose. And that's to examine my heart and say, am I a quote-unquote Christian or am I a disciple? Am I tired of living The way that I'm living, or do I actually believe that God can give me an opportunity starting today to restart my faith and commitment to Him? So, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, my prayer is that all of us together, I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not going to be doing myself. It's to examine deeply in your heart are you willing today to begin to restart the process of denying yourself? And taking up his cross and following him, no matter what it costs you, knowing that it cost him everything. Let's close together in prayer. Father, this is not easy or light. And God, I thank you for that deep moment of conviction that I had this past week. And as I was planning on just telling some really great historical stories about Christ the King and how how you've used this place to touch people. And I thank you for that check that you put in my heart. That said, before we talk about anything, we better talk about Jesus. We better talk about his. Faithfulness in His sacrifice, and His passion, and His call to us to become disciples of the Most High God. Followers of our Rabbi, Teacher, Jesus Christ. Servants of the Creator and King of Kings. So Lord, I give you praise today and ask that you would help this moment be one of those holy, beautiful moments when we get to restart our faith in you. And I pray these things in your precious and holy name. All God's people said, amen.